The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes, as always, talking about gambling addiction and addicts like myself. Uh, joining me today uh, is a fellow gambler in recovery. Uh, this is Brian. Uh, Brian, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Craig. Excited to be on the show. Share my uh, experience, strength, and hope with you. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Uh, how long has it been since your last wager? Uh, data afternoon, 6 seven twenty three. So coming up on eight months. Uh, congratulations. I'm sure life uh, is a lot better than it was nine months ago, yeah? Uh completely different like night and day my Good. presence and uh yes indeed. Right, well, let's get into your story a little bit uh how old were you when you first got exposed to any kind of gambling even well before you know, it became problematic uh give us a little background on your life absolutely um i'm well I've, i have uh, been a listener of your of your show i love it and i've heard some other uh others share uh, about their early experiences Yep. And I have in common with uh, many of them that sports trading cards I've uh, discovered in my adult life has, was the origin, I Got would it. say, or the first uh, time where that feeling of of, of risk or, or chance was involved and, and dopamine being released on, you know, finding the rookie card, you know, Barry Sanders card that I'm looking for or hmm. whatever it was. Uh, so it became a compulsion. I mean, I remember... One Christmas, all I wanted was boxes of cards, you know, right. and just like like a obscene amount, like a you know an unhealthy amount of cards, right. you know, being opened, you know, and spending then spending my own money. Uh, so that's a that's almost I mean it's equivalent to like a scratch off. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, you might you know, not get anything. You might get something. Right. I remember right. you know in the late seventies, you know, we live life a lot different than our kids do today. You know, we were outside in our bikes. Or in a playground, or just outside all day, every day. Nobody came looking for us. And I remember, you know, I had a paper route, and I might make, you know, ten bucks, five bucks, whatever it might have been in a week. And I uh, would get on our bikes. We'd go to a place called Big Top in New Rochelle, New York, and it was oh, a yeah. huge deal to buy you know, a pack of cards and and uh, chew the bad gum inside. And then invariably, <laughs> yeah. we would bike ourselves back home. And then it was either comparing what cards I got versus somebody's. And then you went right to flipping cards. And there were days you'd come home with three times the amount of cards you bought. And there were days right. you literally came home with nothing. And I didn't know exactly. I was gambling at the time, but it was yeah. certainly a precursor for things later in life. How old Absolutely. were you when you first you know, dabbled in, uh, in actual gambling with a financial uh, stake at risk? Yeah, sure. So. You know that uh, one of the common uh, patterns of compulsive gamblers is a lot of them won their first time. Right, right. I mean, not necessarily all, but it was that, you know, uh, initial experience with it was a positive, um, which is like an illusion, so to speak. So I went to Puerto Rico on a vacation with my family, and it's 18 to gamble there, and I was a mature-looking 14-year-old. And okay. my mom, my parents took me to the casino there, dressed, kind of dressed nice, you know, it, doing it innocently, you know, wanted me to have some fun, sure. went to the roulette table. I, I'll never forget this with my mom and my favorite player back then was Deion Sanders, like many. So I put uh, $5 on 21, my first bet and it, uh, and it hit. So it was like 170, 180 bucks or whatever it was. 
And, you know, me at that age was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Right. You know, and so I just left with that feeling, came home. And I remember not too later after getting a bookie early in high school. Um, I, lived, I grew up in Rockland County and uh, got a uh, bookie, local guy. And um, I remember also, again, winning at first and it's like winning a thousand bucks or something when you're that age is like a million dollars. Sure. It's a lot of money and out. yeah. So uh, it was going well until it doesn't go well. Right. And, and uh, then when you, when you win and you get paid out and then you don't keep the money and budget it, you spend it and then you don't have any money to pay when you lose is not a good look. And they don't really like that. No. And that's pretty much what happened. And I, you know, we're I'm pretty good at most of us are pretty good at remembering some of our big losses. And I'll never forget it was uh, I lost on an extra point. Uh, the Redskins uh, former Redskins kicker Chip Low Miller. It said on the screen made 347 consecutive extra points and hits the post, and I lost <laughs> by one. And and I owed like three grand to this bookie. He starts calling the house. And my parents, you know, I had to tell them, and they start freaking out, and right. they don't know what to do. They pay the guy, they make a deal with the guy, pay the guy, give me, a, like, a 10-minute speech. You know, don't do it again, you're an idiot, and that was that. And they thought that was that. But that wasn't that. That was just the beginning. And so, for I you, mean, was it, did it, did it stick to just sports gaming, uh, gambling as a teenager into your early 20s, or did you start to dabble in other types of gambling as well? Yeah, you know, like it was a big part of the culture in my high school amongst uh, most of my friends. Like if we were ever hanging out or going to parties and stuff, a lot of the, almost all the time we're playing cards, like blackjack with each other, different kind of card games and for money. You know, it might be in the 20s, hundreds, but sometimes it would get a little bit more serious, you know, and there's guys that would welsh on other guys and have beef and, you know, that kind of thing. So, no, it was like... It was mainly like with the bookie and sports gambling because I was uh, I was a scholar athlete. I was really you know I was playing three sports and very much into it. But it was also uh, yeah playing cards at that age for sure. Got it. So how, when, so would you looking back on your life now with clarity, being in recovery for eight months, was it a real problem for you in your teenage years and uh, as you got ready to graduate high school and go to college? Uh, maintaining Absolutely. your grades, maintaining the sports you played at, obviously, uh, I imagine, a high level, and also trying to maintain the amount of brain power and energy you were spending on gambling. How'd you balance the three of those things? Yeah, um, it, I mean, it's, it, it is all-consuming, for me anyway. So, I mean, obviously, there's all levels of compulsive gambling. It's not just one, right? So, for me, uh, if I'm doing it, my mind's on it. You know, from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep, for the most part. Um, so that takes you away from whatever you're doing, whether it's spending time with family, you know, practicing your sport, going to school, whatever it is. Uh, it's just like renting space in my mind um, and just taking over. And it was obsession. Like, uh, so I went to Arizona State and I was on the football team. I was a kicker myself. Um, and, uh, I was on a great team. We went to the Rose Bowl, played with some great guys, Jake, the snake plumber, Pat Tillman, uh, who was the American hero, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty much like, I mean, gambling has affected my life in a negative way in so many ways. Um, and primarily with, uh, affecting my ambition and efficiency. 
I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop you there for a second because I want to get that because yeah. it's important. But I have to ask the question. Uh, obviously, you gambled going into college. That's fair for me to assume, right? Yes, sir. Was there ever a point in college having access to all the knowledge a player on a team would have? Were you ever contemplated or followed through on a contemplation on affecting the outcome of a game because you had money on it? Okay, so great question. Having to answer open and honestly, I was a backup kicker okay. when I got there. Right, so I had no ability really. I could maybe influence the game in a negative way, but I never bet against us. Um, it's been a long time. I'm 47. I'm coming up right. uh, in a few days, but I just didn't um, ever contemplate affecting the outcome in any way, nor really could I. Did I ever bet on um, on my own team? I mean, I think about it, like I, I and I, I have to think maybe at least once. Um, I do remember being on the sideline, looking at the out of town scoreboard, other college games, sweating the scores. So I mean, I had a bookie in college, and I was betting on games, right. and. There was one in particular I want to tell you, Greg, that I deeply regretted not betting on. We played Nebraska. They had, like, this unbelievable winning streak, like 26 in a row or something. And we were, like, huge underdogs in the 20s. And we were, I found out after the game we were 100-1 to 1 in Vegas. So you couldn't get that line from a bookie. But if I had gone to Vegas, which right. isn't that far from Phoenix, I could have put that bet down. And I remember for, like, weeks just – regretting it. Why didn't I do that? Oh, my God, I could have been sure. rich. So bottom yeah. line is this, even going into college, gambling was the number one thing in your life. It's where it's what you spent the majority of your time and attention on. And I can relate to that because while you can still, you know, you know be on a football team and you know, pass class and get good grades and to an extent have a social life and appear to be, you know, the, you know, Mr. America kind of thing and have everything going right. And you're the kid other parents want their kids to be like, and you're the guy people want their daughters to date and all that. The reality is that gambling was far more pervasive in your life than anybody else knew. Absolutely. And yeah. it affected my grades. And I uh, eventually had to leave the team based on my grades after two and a half years. And I didn't put any of the work that I should have been putting into trying to get that starting position when the opportunity came. Got it. And, I mean, had, had I been focused, I absolutely would have been doing well in school so, and would have been able to take advantage of that and play. We're going to take a break here in a second, but I guess the question I have for you, well, I have a, a lot of questions for you, but let me let you finish the thought you had when you talked about how gambling kind of robbed you of your, of your ambition. Can you walk me through that? Yeah, I mean, like I'm saying, uh, I am the type of, uh, gambler too, and, and and sports gambling was my primary um, right. was was my first choice. So when you bet on a game, you can either bet on a game and then two three hours later check the score see if you want to loss. I'm checking the score obsessively, like right. I'm either watching the game or if I can't watch it, I'm looking at the score trying to find out what the scores every five minutes. So I mean, you're just all you're doing your time is just all spent. It's all about the time loss. I mean, the money is horrible as well and crippling, but it's the time that I'm just, what else could I be doing? Where else could I be, you know, that I could be right. doing anything productively? This is doing nothing. It is a complete robbery of my, of my time. I mean, I, I, whether, it's, whether it's for schoolwork, like I said, whether it's for practicing the sport you're playing or 
spending time with friends and family, like doing something, anything, yep. helping somebody, something. So let me. I'm going to take a quick break there. Much more coming up. Uh, interesting story, and obviously it, it has. It's not lost on me that you're in your late 40s uh, and you've been in recovery for eight months. So we're talking about a good quarter century, if not more of you uh, gambling and having a gambling problem until you got the help you needed. So we're going to find out you know, the answers to why that uh, took so long for you to finally get into a really good place. Uh, this is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Brian, kind enough to join us. As we were just learning, uh, gambling started at a young age for Brian, was a varsity athlete uh, at a Division One college as a kicker, and gambled uh, throughout his time in college. Uh, and now here we are in his late 40s, and he's eight months into recovery so I guess the question is, you you know all this now. You can talk with clarity now. You can talk honestly now. But it obviously took you a long time to get there, meaning you've had some moments in your life where you had to feel like, you know, the walls are caving in financially, uh, relationship-wise, career-wise, all those things. Give me an, an idea of what that rocky road was like over the course of multiple decades until you got to a place where you decided enough's enough, I'm going to get help. Uh, absolutely, and I'll it's, I'll try to uh, kind of sum it up and get yeah. to the point. Um, so, because it is a long period of time, but the the overall uh, picture, uh, Craig, is that I the first time I went to get help was in two thousand, early two thousand. Okay. My father had passed away from prostate cancer in nineteen ninety nine, so it was a rough time. I deeply, one of my biggest regrets is gambling while he was sick and not even spending more time with him than I could have, that I'll never get back. So I went to, uh, my family thought it would be a good idea that I go to a rehab, and I went to a drug and alcohol rehab. I was the only gambler there, and I had to do the, um, basically figure out when they're talking about drugs and gambling, I mean drugs and alcohol, they're also talking about gambling. Right. So um, it wasn't easy, and it didn't stick. I mean, first of all, I was grieving. And I really went through the motions and maybe stayed clean a few months, and then it went back to my old ways. The reason why, so I've had periods of recovery. I've had over a year twice. I've had, you know, nine months a few times. I've, I've had these periods. So, so every uh, person who gets into recovery also has a different story of their own. Some right. go in, as you know, and get it right away and never gamble again. And some relapse, 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 never get it. Right. And some relapse, 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 and finally get it. And I'm hoping that's me. And, and why? why? Why is there any reason to believe somebody who has relapsed many times is ever going to not, you know, relapse again? Well, the reality uh, is that that's the norm. The norm is not, hey, I'm going to stop, and you stop for the rest of your life. The norm is, I know I need to stop. I know it's not healthy. And you stop for a period of time. Then for whatever the reason is, you dabble again. A lot of people dabble because they want to prove to themselves they can and do it responsibly. A lot of people, there's social pressure, you know, to gamble, be in a casino, that kind of thing. But your story is is actually not unique. Your story is more the norm than the outlier here, just so you know. You're absolutely right. I completely agree. I just have guys in my meeting that have done it from the, from the very beginning. Right. So I try not to compare myself to anybody else, and we shouldn't do that. Right. You know, it's just that, 
Yeah, sure. I wish I did. I wish I got the message from the beginning. Um, I would say the main cause of my relapses is not fully committing to recovery in the sense of using all the tools that are there. So what do I do now differently than I've done in the past? Like, I've put my ego aside. I let my brother handle my finances. Like, I don't do it on my own. You know, I have him overlooking my account and, and seeing. I have certain other things. I'm doing basically everything that they recommend. Well, the key thing the key part of it, for those of you that don't have a connection right now in the moment to someone like me or like Brian, is the, is the nasty three-letter word, ego. Because I've never met a compulsive gambler who didn't have an out-of-control ego, specifically centered around the gambling. They might be, you know, egoless, you know, outside of that in every other aspect of relationship in their lives. But when it comes to the gambling, we're, we are the biggest egomaniacs in the world. And I have, I, that's, that's a commonality no one has ever disputed with me. We're the best at it. You just don't understand how good we are at it. I've right. won a lot of money. You can't appreciate that. Yes, I've losses too, but I've got so many wins you'd never believe it. And um, you know, blah, 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 you know, run the gamut. Uh, the ego is a, is a full-fledged part uh, of this uh, lifestyle. Question for right. you. Before we get to the good stuff and how life is for you now, eight months into this, this trip through recovery, give me, if you don't mind sharing, there's typically like a bottom-of-the-barrel kind of moment before somebody says, all right, I'm committed or I'm going to try to be committed to getting help and, and getting myself into recovery. You've gone through it a few times in your life, so I imagine there are several moments for you, but if you don't mind sharing with people, like give us a like worst-case situation for you that led you to kind of desperately say, okay, I need help. Absolutely. Oh, well, uh, I... I do stand-up comedy for a living, and I, I still do. Uh, I've done it for over 20 years. I worked at the Tempe Improv uh, early 2000s as a manager. The owner of the club thought it would be a good idea that I get the other side of it and see the business part of, of it so that I can help me with my career, which was a good idea, and I was good at managing. However, I had access to money. Right. The servers would turn in the reports at the end of the night. So on one particular Sunday night, uh, I owed a bookie 1800 bucks. Like, I look back now, and it's so ridiculous that I did anything crazy to try to get this money that I totally didn't need to get. Like, life would have been fine. I did not need to do anything drastic. But this disease has a way of, make, of convincing you, or it convinces me that things are so much worse, and you must do whatever you have, you have to gamble. And, like, I've believed that voice in my head for, for so long. I just want to say really quick before I tell you what I did is that this addiction, unlike others, is, is so crazy and insidious in the, in the way that it makes you think that you, you can use your addiction to fix your problems. Like, I've won money before. So sure. if you've ever won money, then my addiction recalls just that time where it's possible and it's happened so I'm using my problem to solve my problem. It's a great point. Crazy. You can't you can't drink into sobriety. You can't do drugs, you know, to right. solve a drug problem. But if you have a financial problem because of gambling, you can gamble to get out of that problem. I don't. It's not right. a smart way to do it, but that's a factual right. statement. And that's what drives a lot of people. I know I'm in the hole. I know I owe people money, but I'm also so good at gambling. 
that if I take this money, I can make enough money to pay those people back for sure. Yes. And the rationalizations that go along with as soon as I win this money and I pay this off, I'll be done. And also I'll pay it back and this and that. So rationalizations were a a huge part of my of my gambling and the sense with what, what, what happened at the improv. I that one evening I took I think I started with three hundred dollars. I took three hundred dollars from out of the office. We closed the doors. I had the keys. I was the only one. Went to the casino like ten minutes away. Played high limit poker or not high limit, but poker, and lost immediately. So now it's you know I'm just trying to win enough to get some for myself. Put the money back, of course, and not get caught and be able to pay what I need to pay. But now my problem is forget what I need to pay before. I need to put this 300 back. So what's the difference if I stole 300 or if I took 600? So I go back and take another 300, and about five trips later, six trips later, I owe five grand. Wow. So I had a horrible night, drove back and forth at least five, six, seven times, and lost $5,000. And I wrote a note Rick, that said, hey, I had an emergency. <laughs> Can you please take it out of my check, you know, going forward, right. thinking that was somehow going to fly? And I'm not laughing at it because it's, cause it's funny, really, in any way. It's just pathetic is what it was. And no, they did that did not fly. They called me the next day and said, we're calling the police. You know, so forget yeah. about losing my job. I was potentially losing my career and I was potentially losing my freedom. So what happened from there was I got very fortunate in the fact that one of the owners is an AA um, and for a long time and understood that I had a problem. I told him everything about it and I immersed myself in GA and that's one of the periods where I got over a year. I was able to pay the money back. I got probation. It was my first offense at the time, but it scared the heck out of me. And, um, and a good story is because of recovery, I headlined that club like hmm. a year and a half later. That after must have been I took surreal. money from them, which is just crazy. But yeah. that shows the power of recovery. Like miracles and amazing things can happen in your life if you if you give yourself a chance. Well, let me know, talk about and, that. And, recovery. Well, and obviously, we could talk more at length another day, and I'd love to do that with you because I'm sure you have tons of stories to share. But I'm up against the clock here a little bit. Uh, now you're eight months in, obviously you've had a year of sobriety recovery in the past, but now, you know, you're getting close to 50 years old in theory, you're maturing a bit in your life, uh, and you're not gambling right now. And I always think it's important for people like you, myself in recovery to, to share the success stories as well, because there's so many people that are listening that are back at stage one or day one, or maybe they, Yo, started gambling again, or maybe this is their first time, you know, contemplating recovery at all. And just give people a sense when you look back on all the craziness with your gambling, uh, and now you're at a place where you're not gambling and life seemingly is really good. Walk people through what life is like for you now that you've been eight months without wagering. Okay, absolutely. Well, you know, I think it comes down to just being as real with yourself as you can. Um, it's hard to do that when you're in the grips of it, but, you know, doing uncomfortable things as far as recovery goes, like we talked about ego, like I can handle my money. I don't need anybody to handle my money for me. I'm a grown man. No, I can't. I need help with it. And that's all right. So not just, you know, picking and choosing the easy things in recovery that are, all right, I'll do that. I'll do that. But I'm not doing that. 
like, well, then you're not really ready. You know, really have to do, and everything, everybody's different. But for me, I really need to do everything. And one of the main things I really want to do in recovery uh, this time around is get involved uh, career-wise in helping others. So you have, uh, you know, uh, Dan and you've had Patrick on who worked for Epic. That's something uh, that I would love to do, use my public speaking skills and my uh, history with, you know, an experience with gambling and sports to to help uh, young athletes or anybody. I mean, I've always felt that education is what we need. I never got any. I don't blame my parents. They didn't know any better. They told me about drugs and alcohol, cigarettes and this and that, but not about gambling just because they didn't know. You know, uh, it's not they didn't love me. You know, they just didn't know. So I want to help spread that message. And I moved from Phoenix to Atlanta recently. One of the reasons why, and that was eight months ago, uh, was because Phoenix right now is almost like Vegas, like a lot of other states. I mean, there's casinos everywhere, and the sports gambling was legalized. Now, I'm not running away from gambling, but I have family that lived in Atlanta, and there's no casinos anywhere around here, at least for now, and they don't have the, you know, FanDuel sports gambling and all that kind of stuff here. Yeah. So it's like, yes, of course I could do it if I need to, but it's like a, an alcoholic shouldn't really work in a bar. I don't need to be around it as much as possible. So that really helped me in the beginning kind of uh, get, get clean and, and stay that way and get a good running start, so to speak. And actually, uh, cool story just really quick, on the way out here, driving out here from Phoenix to Atlanta, I listened to a podcast, and Patrick, who works for Epic, was on it. And he talked about Epic, and I was like, oh, my God, that's what I want to do. That's what I yeah. really need to be doing. And I feel like myself – Getting help with my finances is a big thing, but also working in the field of recovery, I think, will really strengthen my recovery for the long run. Well, I think that's why one of the reasons that one of the, the, the aspects of doing this show that's so important for me is it becomes therapeutic for me. It's like my own like mini GA meeting and being a right. part of these conversations allows me to also share my story more, but also hear other kind of coping mechanisms and recovery success stories. So I'm down with that. And if you can get involved with Epic Global Solutions or even in Georgia, whatever they what kind of programs they have that allows you to tell your story, it's just that. Like telling our stories helps humanize addiction and the addicts like ourselves. And I know for a fact it, it saves lives and it helps people. So uh, more power to you. Congratulations. Very proud of you. It's no, it, it is a big deal to get eight months uh, in recovery, and I'm knocking on wood for you that, you know, this time it sticks and you make it well past a year, and we can celebrate your great successes moving forward. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your story, and I know we only touched the iceberg with you on it, and I look forward to having you back on to tell more of your background and story. But uh, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you very much. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. Be well. Take care. All right, look, a lot of the guys and gals we've had on the show have years in recovery, so it's always refreshing to hear somebody that's under a year in recovery and can tell the story of how powerful recovery is. And I'm a living, walking example of that. There's still issues in life. You still got to deal with bills. You still have legal problems and financial problems and relationship problems. And while you don't fix everything overnight, Life is so much better and so much easier to live when you're not being controlled by the demon that is addiction. And I'm sure that applies to booze and drugs as well. 
but for the purposes of this show, gambling, which of course is my bugaboo, not worrying about gambling, not thinking about your know, money I have set aside for gambling, where to get money, how to get money, who you owe money to, how to collect money, you know, sitting there, you know, on the edge of your seat, uh, on the outcome of a game that you have no control over, or a deck of cards. Uh, it, it's just so much better to live without it for somebody like me. And hearing Brian's story brought me back in a lot of ways to a lot of my moments in casinos, in private underground rooms and games, and all the nonsense and craziness I lived through, all self-inflicted. So I'm glad that he was able to share his story and amazing that he's now eight months into recovery and seemingly doing very, very well. We uh, thank you so much for listening and allowing us to do this show. Joe Beningo's next. Have a great weekend. Special Super Bowl edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Coming up next week, have a great weekend. God bless.